Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. This is our scripture for today from Proverbs. Does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries out. To you, O people, I call. And my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn prudence. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to one who understands and right to those who find knowledge. I have good advice and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, rulers rule and nobles, all who govern rightly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield better than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, along the path of paths of justice, endure endowing with wealth those who love me and filling their treasuries. 
The Lord created me at the beginning of his work and, his, and the, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields of the world's first bits of soil, when he established the heavens, I was there, where he drew a circle on the face of the deep. And now, my children, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Happy is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Paul. Thanks. So as we begin this confirmation for grown-ups journey together today, um, and begin to unpack together who, who is God. I think we should begin by orienting ourselves to who is in our church, who is here today, and, but who makes up our church. The various ways of faith that kind of exist among us. Over my last um, eight years here, can you believe it's been eight years, eight years, I have met broadly two types of Christians here at Kingstown. Um, first, I've met those folks who feel deeply like they know God. They have this deep sense that they know God. They know who God is, and they don't have they don't have many questions about it. They appreciate the questions answered, but they don't really have many questions about it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're one of those people. There's fewer of them. Um, you know, those people, you, like, you know God, and so you tend to get pretty exhausted often and wary of how other people seem to always just complicate who God is or misunderstand who God is. And you often get frustrated with those who deny the God that you know they confidently know. <laughs> For these folks, God is really close to them real and direct and intimate, and they just know God. And then there's the other kind of Christians here, which I think makes up a larger percentage of our congregation. And they're the folks who wouldn't say that they know God, but that they, they want to know God. They look quite contemplatively and sometimes mistrustfully <laughs> um, on those of us who seem to have this straightforward knowledge of who God is. And maybe, um, maybe that's you. Maybe that, 
that one is you, or some version of that is you. For these people, God seems kind of far away and elusive, clothed in mystery, perhaps not even there at all. And this understanding of God gives them um, not a confidence for God, but rather this deep sense of longing for God. Instead of deep faith, they hold on to hope. Instead of answers, they cling to the questions, which is why we would do the last sermon series we did. Um, I wonder if you recognize yourself or most of yourself or part of yourself in one of these two types of Christians. And if you do, I bet you know their pitfalls too, right? The danger of the first intimate kind of belief is that when it comes to the question, who is God, we tend to make God way too much like ourselves when God is that close to us and we really feel like we know God. We make God way too much like ourselves, too much a creature of our own like desires and needs and prejudices. And it can make God too much like ourselves, too much like a creature of our own desires, right? And then there's the danger of that second distant observant kind of belief too. Both have their dangers. It, it can often be for them that faith is just so, God is just so ethereal. It, that it makes no practical confessional difference in their lives. It stays like up here all the time or in here all the time and it never touches the ground and never digs at your spirit or never actually molds your heart at all, right? I'm sure you know which of these you are or are more like, right? To answer the question today of who is God, we could begin in so many places in the Bible. The creation account in Genesis, right, would make so much sense for us to begin there. Um, God's covenant with Abraham would make total sense. God's getting real with Moses and the Israelites and giving them the Ten Commandments. That would make sense as we talk about who God is. Or perhaps one of the many theological bombs that Paul drops in like Romans or Hebrews making clear for the early church that Jesus is the same God and the fulfillment of God's promise and uh, we could, all of these would make total sense to begin today. But I want today to begin somewhere else entirely um, as we ask this question of who is God. Uh, I want today to trace through, you've heard Paul read it, to trace through Proverbs 8, the book of Proverbs, to see how our Christian understanding of who God is emerged from the sages and people of faith in ancient Israel. So here's what we know about the God of the Old Testament and what we know about the people of Israel. That among them existed the same kind of dual, like polarity in belief as resides in our congregation. Among them existed the people that felt like God was close and real and that they just knew God, and among them were people who felt like God was elusive. Among God's people Israel, there were people who, who felt close, people who felt far away. Several places throughout the Old Testament, we see this type of faith, those people who felt very close to God, that assumed that God was intimate, and, and this is, they assumed that God was this 
tribal God. Such a God loves Israel like a parent loves a child, right? And with that comes this assumption that other people have other gods and that Yahweh is only concerned about Israel. So that intimate, tribal kind of faith, which makes it easy then to account for what's going on wrong in the world, right? When you have that kind of faith. You just boil it all down then. All the things going wrong in the world, you can boil it down to the destructive influence of other gods with other peoples. God is the tribal God of Israel, and so as things start to go wrong for Israel, believers had to make a choice. This is our God. Why are things going wrong for us? Either, either they, had, they got angry with God and had to ask their money back from this God that was supposed to be their God, right? Since things had not worked out as they had planned, or, or it began to dawn on them that God might just be bigger than they feel they know God to be. It, be. it began to dawn on them that God might just be bigger than the plans, might have bigger plans than just their flourishing, just Israel's flourishing. And the more they got this, I mean, this was revolutionary, the more they began to not, to, to, to not just denounce the intimate tribal God who they thought was their God, but, but isn't, given that they don't always get what they want, the more their, their answer to the question, who is God and who is God for, was transformed and transcended beyond what they believed they knew about God, the more, over time, the more distant and aloof God began to feel right? When God is not my God, God begins to feel elusive. And it's into this context that Proverbs chapter 8 is written. Did you hear it today? Um, I, I love how Paul read it really like intentionally and so that we could hear every line. Um, it's, it's within Proverbs 8 that we get both of these views of who God is, both that kind of intimate and um, that distant God. In Proverbs, we get, first of all, this female character known as wisdom. Some call her Lady Wisdom, but in the Hebrew, we do get a feminine pronoun here for wisdom, capital W, wisdom. And wisdom here is the inner logic of things, both cosmic and and earthly, both noble and practical. And then Proverbs 8 is, it comes to us in four main sections. And so I want us to see these four sections. Um, the first part of what you heard today was this invitation by Wisdom, capital W herself, into the heart of all things. It's the invitation to this kind of insight that's more valuable than wealth and possessions. It's an insight into the essence of life, what truth really is. And then the second part of Proverbs 8 is this confident statement that wisdom orders the world and that if you're in right relationship with wisdom, you'll be rewarded. rewarded with justice and goodness and honor and wealth and prosperity. 
Then this third section of Proverbs, which is the, the most well-known part of Proverbs, the one part that's most read and talked about and debated, um, we see wisdom as this like mediating principle in creation, as that which brings the ethereal, distant God into tangible relationship with the world, bringing understanding and skill and delight and, and turning the methodical workings of creation into this kind of beautiful act of rejoicing before God. And then finally, the fourth section, it becomes clear that wisdom, in, in addition to being valuable, well-ordered, and the logic of creation is also the secret to happiness. That might be, those might be the words that you recognize the most as you heard it read. That wisdom is the secret to happiness. If all this by now just sounds like obscure poetry from some like former era, <laughs> um, pause and think for a second with me about walking into a major bookstore today. There are actually bookstores that exist, I promise. They still exist, they're still open. Um, but think about for a second, walking into a bookstore and you'll see this tiny little tucked away religion section, right? And then somewhere near it, you'll see some much larger section called spirituality or self-help or pop psychology, right? And it's in this section that you'll find countless books that are along the lines of what we just read in Proverbs 8, meaning that they all talk about the secrets of life and finding your place in the world of nature and human relationships and what they offer often is prosperity and happiness. Confucius was known for saying there are three roots to wisdom First, by reflection, which is the noblest. Second, by imitation, which is the easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. And these bestsellers are a mixture of all three of these. And you know the secret to the American megachurch, right, is to combine that itty-bitty religion section with that bigger spirituality and self-help section, right? So that wisdom is then delivered to you in digestible helpings and offers comfort in body and spirit and hands out harmony and personal and professional success, all with this whiff of divine favor over all of that. The writer of Proverbs, from their place and point of view in this world at this time, isn't answering the question, what is wisdom? The writer of Proverbs is, asked, is answering the question, who is wisdom? Who is God? And these four answers are what they give. Four answers that are very relatable, incredibly relatable. They're the evidence of that push and pull, those two ways of belief we find here at Kingstown, that warring between the God who is intimate and the God who is elusive. And you may be looking at these and already identifying something within them that is problematic to you, that doesn't feel right with you. We could go into depth on each one of them, um, but today we're going to zoom in on the third one because it's the beginning of that third section of Proverbs 8 that was actually the most controversial verse in the entire Bible in the fourth century. 
right around the time of the Council of Nicaea, when those leaders in Christian faith are gathering to solidify and confirm an agreed upon creedal understanding of who God is. And it's this verse, I'll put it on the screen in a second, or Richard will, I won't. Um, This verse, this section three, that was the most controversial verse in, in the entire Bible at that time, because Proverbs sees wisdom as this mediating principle. And because Christianity sees Jesus in that role, Many early Christians saw wisdom as referring to Jesus, but Proverbs says, and let's see, the Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago, ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, and when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, and when he had not yet made the earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil, and when he established the heavens, I was there, and when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, I was there. The great argument for them in the fourth century was whether Jesus was the first of God's creatures to be created or was part of God even before creation. The idea that Jesus was created became a huge heresy at the time. It was called Arianism after a writer called Arius who said that Jesus, it's Jesus, there was, Jesus was when there was not. (laughs) And so Christians have always um, read Proverbs 8 with caution because it talks about this mediating principle, but that principle clearly isn't identical with Jesus, is it? But the differences between proverbial wisdom and what we call, what we call Jesus don't end there either. And so this brings us to the most crucial part um, because we, it's fine to seek the order that lies at the heart of things. And it's, it's fine to get a book. It's not wrong to get a book to help you aspire to order and prosperity and happiness and wealth. It's worthy of aspiration to align yourself with the true dynamics of creation and feel at one with God when you're on a mountain. And none of these are contrary to being a child of God. But they're not the same thing as being Christian. In the New Testament, there's another writer who comes along who also uses the word wisdom, again, in seeking an answer, who is God? But Paul's central answer to this question, who is God, who is wisdom, in Philippians 2, we're told that the wisdom of God and Christ is poured out setting aside privileges and advantages and prosperity and becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. You see how this changes the whole notion of who wisdom is, who God is? You see how this changes everything? No longer is is wisdom, no longer is God a detached perception of what harmonizes with creation or makes for human flourishing or leads to wealth and happiness. Now, capital W, wisdom, now God is fully engaged, 
utterly selfless. Now, lowercase w wisdom is also this fully engaged, utterly selfless willingness to make one's life not some intimate tribal ritual, but rather a blessing to others. See the difference? See how different these two notions of wisdom of God are. The proverbial approach appreciates that life is breathtaking and beautiful, but the Philippian perspective sees something more, that that all is also not as it should be, and that wisdom calls us into aligning ourselves with God's way of putting things right in the world. The proverbial approach recognizes that God wants all to flourish, but the Philippian perspective suggests that we flourish most fully when we're looking out for the well-being of another. The proverbial approach sees us having some kind of connection with the inner workings of the world, but the Philippian perspective assumes that such a relationship requires us to be vulnerable, to make ourselves subject to forces and outcomes and potential to hurt (laughs) and let down in ways beyond our control because this is not our God. This This God is bigger than what might matter to us. And that perhaps, just perhaps, God has bigger plans than my own flourishing. The proverbial approach sees creation as the principal window into who God is. While Philippian, the Philippian wisdom sees two things more fundamental to who God is than even creation. And and those are Christ's incarnation as one of us, and Christ's resurrection as one who renews all things. It's only when we've appreciated these differences that we can look again at that controversial verse that says wisdom was the first to be created. Proverbial wisdom and the Philippian Jesus, the God of of Proverbs and the God of Paul are both ways of articulating who God is but they're saying significantly different things. For the God of Proverbs relating to us is an afterthought for God, for its creation that is essential. Relationship is only secondary. The God of Paul relating is the essence of who God is. God is relationship and creation only happens because of some prior decision to relate to it as a way of deepening relationship with God. The best example of this kind of Proverbs description of who God is that I've ever come across was actually not a Jewish perspective or a Christian perspective. It was actually a Muslim perspective Um, Imam Muhammad, leader of the black Muslims in America, shortly before his death in 2008 said, everything is given by God for two things, knowledge and mercy. What a beautiful way to sum up his life's purpose, right? It's this beautiful interpretation of Proverbs 8 but it's not quite Christianity. For when we answer the question, who is God, we respond with a particular doctrine that should shape the entire way we see who God is. And that's the doctrine of the Trinity. 
that there is one God and three persons, that this that relationship is at the heart of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this mutual love and affection poured out for us too. Who is God? God is triune. And, and in that, there is something deeper than that other wisdom. Proverbial wisdom is the ability to read the ways of God and, and the world and one another and then to put them to good use in the world. But, but Christianity is professing a triune God and goes beyond that in this profession and says, we, yes, we, we often find the world be, bewildering, but we see the cross of Jesus. And so we know God's love to the very core. We often find the world isolating and lonely, yes, but we see the incarnate Jesus, and so we know behind him is God the Father, whose eternal purpose is to be in relationship with us at any price. Yes, we often feel weak and conscious of our mortal limitations in this life, but we see Jesus and so we know that behind him is the Holy Spirit empowering us for the work we're called to do and making us holy with God forever. The Trinity is not the best estimate of proverbial wisdom. It's the revelation of the God who in Christ turns upside down our quest for knowledge and comfort and security and is instead calls us to pour out our lives in gratitude and grace, in imitation and in building relationship with others. God is triune and such God isn't an answer then. God is this like continuous conversation then, right? And believing isn't having access to a solution. It's being drawn into a conversation that we never want to end where Jesus becomes the language in which God speaks to us and we speak to God then. So if you're one of those people for whom God feels super close and intimate, I'd say, good for you. Good for me. We must be pretty resilient, right? If you're one of those people, we're pretty resilient because in entering that conversation with God, we are going to constantly be told things at odds with the world's wisdom, things that we might find uncomfortable to hear and digest. And if you're the sort of person that feels like God is distant and elusive, I urge you to watch out because you may be actually ignoring the possibility that the conversation you're actually having right now in your life, whatever that conversation is that is absorbing and infuriating and demanding and revealing is actually a very intimate conversation with God. Would you pray with me? Trying God, who at the essence of who you are is relationship, we, God, find that good news because we are people craving 
craving for you to be near us. We're longing to know you, God, and to know your will for our lives, and to know what you would have to say sitting on the porch with with a glass of sweet tea as we just completely just word vomited our life before you, God. Everything that's going on, all the things we're thinking and wondering and worrying about. This conversation with you, God, in which Jesus becomes our language. That it's it's right for us to feel sometimes distant from you because you're the God who ascended into heaven and, and went down deep into the depths of hell, far from what we know and experience. And you're the God who is bigger than the plans we have for our own, for our own flourishing. And it's right, God, that we feel deeply close to you because there's not a single ounce of anything you've ever done, God, any any work in creation you've ever made that hasn't been about drawing us closer in relationship with you. And so if we find ourselves stuck in the push and pull of these two spaces of who you are, are you close or are you distant? God, we are right where you would have us be. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.